This episode of Epigraph has brief moments of sexual assault. Viewer discretion is advised. Hello, listeners. Thank you for tuning into Epigraph. My name is Jay, and I am the sound you get when you open a carbonated drink for the first time. Please welcome Prosper G, who will be presenting their work. Take it away, Prosper G. Nice. Thank you. I shall be reading... All I have left are mock oranges. I used to look at you with what were purple orchids in my eyes. I never thought I'd meet someone who understood the exact youthful wrath I had inside. The need to ruin and taint everything in our path, just to finally rest exhausted and empty-minded. You never seemed to care what others thought, and you carried on as best as we knew how. Which to me was impressive as I didn't think we lived that long in one piece. I knew that everywhere you walked, you left snapdragons in your stead. What I thought was your strength in surviving near the cliffs was apparently just more lies and a mere coincidence that you were even there. I wasted so many chances and hopes on you. Did you laugh with each yellow rose that I grew, seeds a bulb each mistake? I let you come back. Every time, as I thought it'd be different, that you understand that you can't just barely survive like this anymore. Gaia, you really were lucky that those weren't seasonal, or I would have had time to realize your faults. I wonder if your patterns were more obvious, maybe. I would have left sooner. I still hope that it wasn't purposely done to me. How you managed to make yourself so intertwined with my very understanding of myself, I'm still impressed by. When I would wait to see you, I'd see anemones bloom in anticipation of our next encounter. Why did you let me waste away in each heartfelt moment that kept me there? I was the fool who thought you were talking about Hawthorne like I was when instead you were speaking of your black thorns. I thought you meant it when you would promise to not hurt me and lie, like how our fathers did. Maybe you even meant it at one point. But then you started to grow into the very men that caused you so much harm. How dumb could I have been, as you must have spoken clearly, if all but me knew of the warning you screamed. No, saying that you had the foresight to warn someone implies that you were aware. Tara, I'm such a fool after all these years still waiting for you. Even though you abused my fascination with the mythos of the hyacinth, as you were already warning me of those deep violet petals of sorrow that were apparently trying to enter my esophagus. You just let me stay with you and admire the spirit that remained. But I thought was a sign of hope that maybe we weren't doomed to repeat the sufferings of our creators. You let me stay as close as I did, even though you knew you were going to kill me. You were my protector, my home even at one point. You were there for me when I needed someone to bring me back to soil even when I was waiting to destroy everyone else's garden. As I reflect, I remember seeing Lockspur when I'd speak of you, as I was so ecstatic to find someone who understood and was trying to be better. 
but I wasn't very knowledgeable in my flower identification, as it's surprisingly too easy to mistake for aconite. You took advantage of my naivety and love just to say, I fucking wish I knew what you wanted in the end. Why would you keep me around if you were never going to take my offer? Having a place to come home and finally rest. Looking back, I can't believe I thought those Peruvian lilies were for you. I was so proud of you. I remember bragging about my joy that you were finally taking the steps needed to more than just live. They were instead for me when I finally put it together. I really needed that strength to get through that end. I thought you were pulling yourself together, that you'd stay longer this time. I was an idiot. I truly thought you'd stay and I could live knowing that you were here with me, safe. I should be filled with petunias and orange lilies trying to burst from my body. They should be crushing my bones, consuming all that is me. It wants me to be angry and hate you for everything else that you did. But all I have blooming are mark, mock oranges. I just feel lied to. Can't even confidently say by who. I lay here just confused and not with even energy to choke back tears or even threaten you. Look what you did to that feral child that idolized you. You somehow found the way to domesticate a creature through heartbreak. I now just sit here in my meadow of flowers, wondering how I let this happen. How did I manage to care and grow this collection of plants when I was just trying to survive? When did I find the time as I sit here wondering if I could find a use for these plants as they need to die so I can move on? Why can't I behead these stupid plant stalks that still mock me to this day? I gotta say, I think that has been the, how do I even phrase it? Um, I've gone to a few open mics. And one thing that I uh, really think about when it comes to open mics, I love I love how inviting they can be. I also think that it takes a very specific type of person to not just read it, but really perform it in their tone and inflections and everything. And I feel like I, I get distracted very easily, not going to lie. And it was it was so hard to even pull myself away enough to not want to tear up at what you were reading. I even have a flower key if you need it. Oh, my God, that much. I'm I'm that was about what I was going to ask as well. Like, how did you how did you choose the flowers to include in your poem? Um, so the person who introduced us was taking a apothecary course and she got me really into flowers. So I'm starting a floral degree right now, personally. So it just There's worked floral out. Degree? <laughs> Yeah, it's a floral design degree. I don't know why I hadn't heard of that before. That sounds really cool. So, and the reason why I ask is because I, I've always had some sort of like mild fascination. I wouldn't call it obsession, but like it's a mild fascination about using flowers to communicate. And 
but I, I couldn't find a reliable enough source. And I'll be honest, I was like, there's so many other things grabbing my attention right now. I don't think I can dedicate the time to this. But to see someone that like, it's clear you have a passion for it. You mentioned flowers in there that I was like, I know that one. Wait, I don't know if I know that one, actually. I'm surprised you didn't mention that the reason you were into flowers was because of the Hanahaki disease fanfic trope. Oh, that my was really God. popular for yes. a couple years. Yes, I. Oh my God! Don't out me like this, okay? <laughs> I it's too. okay. I did an actual art project on that. Did you really? And it got auctioned off for my school. And can you imagine having to come up with words to explain it without saying what it is? So, for our listeners who may not be familiar with what uh, Hanahaki is, would you mind expanding on that a little bit? So, Hanahaki is a, I don't know where the name comes from, but I know it's a trope where it's like when you fall in love or feel deep emotions for someone and it's not reciprocated, you start growing like flowers within your chest and like the roots start like taking place in like your rib cage and it can get really bad that you start like choking up flowers and petals. Very beautiful to imagine bloodied flower petals when you're young and not in a great place <laughs> very one of those like dramatic angsty things that really yeah. appeals to to that um to people that the enjoy youth. that sort of stuff yeah the youth back in my day when emo was coming out <laughs> oh god no i i do i know i've i've enjoyed and we had a previous episode where we spoke a bit about fan fiction. I am guilty of reading fan fictions that are written from the Hadahaki like plot point, essentially. And so to go back to your poem a bit. So this poem was not it, it wasn't a romantic relationship. It was it was more platonic, right? Yeah. OK, which is I feel like platonic relationships are under under um underappreciated represented <laughs> represented as well yeah yeah because like i'll be honest there has not been a single romantic breakup that i've had that i've felt like oh god my world is falling apart but almost every right? falling out i've had with a friend has been like oh god my world is falling apart which is wild that it's like that yeah exactly and it's i don't, I don't know hollywood if you're listening maybe do that <laughs> right what and makes I, it even more heartbreaking is that sometimes other people don't understand it so sometimes you have to lie and say it was romantic even though yes. the thought of kissing the person makes you want to barf absolutely <laughs> oh my gosh no, yeah and i think even the romantic relationships that i've had that were kind of intense what hurt wasn't were no longer romantic romantically involved what hurt is that i also saw them as as you know my bestie because to me my the person i'm dating yeah. is also like my bestie and so it was like oh god i i just lost a major friend somebody i trust and it's uh it's i don't know i think a thing that really called my attention in the poem not just the flowers there was this one line that you mentioned it's uh domesticated through heartbreak that just my ears perked up. I've never heard it phrased like that before. I just want to know, like what while you were writing up until that point, I would love to know more of like how that applies to you and how that how that came to your mind. Ooh. So as I feel for most young, undiagnosed autistic children, you're filled with a weird kind of 
rage that you can't explain because you're overwhelmed. And then with like the intense, like understanding of what justice and equality is, you just constantly have that rage bubbling there and you don't know what to do with it. There are very few things that can usually calm you down besides just, you know, going at it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Especially when you're like a teenager, man. Oh, it, it just and everything is happening so much it, all over when you're a teenager yeah. because like you're all your hormones are trying to balance out. You're yeah. growing. Your bones hurt. Yeah. And I feel like you're also like you're aware enough to know that the world is kind of going to shit but you're not old Uh, enough to really do much about it, you know? And then you still have to wake up every day before 8 a.m. That's, I think, (laughs) I think that's That's what made me. Exactly. I think that's what made me emo in the first place when I was growing up was like, I'm sorry, you want me out at the house by when? (laughs) Right. I feel like if I was able to sleep in, maybe, maybe my depression wouldn't have been as bad. Oh, maybe. I I know that would have been just fine for me because like I the 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 jobs I work right now none of them require me to get up earlier than like ten a.m. and that's if I want so it's like oh my god just let let the kids sleep in okay just especially because they need it yes absolutely isn't there like wasn't there like some study that said that teenagers generally are more active at night because that's just like how their biology is. Yes. I don't remember what the study is, but I know I remember for sure reading it and being like I do remember having it printed out and making <laughs> a whole argument to my counselor because I wasn't allowed to talk to the principal anymore. Anymore? I was a very angry and <laughs> observant child. So when you're an adult in charge of a bunch of children, but you're also sometimes say things. And also do things that can be observed as not maybe great around children. Yeah. You start to have a list of people you don't want coming into your office without a heads up. So Prosper G was the, uh, the, was a squeaky wheel, so to speak. You could say a narc. (laughs) You could say that, you know. To adults, I would have been considered a narc. Yeah. <laughs> In the corporate world, we say squeaky wheel. <laughs> oh my god! Wild. Yeah, that's less fun. I there's oh my gosh! I would love to be able to make a whole like breakdown of the corporate jargon that I have to navigate just just day to day. Not even while I'm active at work, just day to day. So sad. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and so. If it's because of, I'll, and I'll be honest, like I'm also autistic, so like I have to mask constantly, and that's why I really, I really enjoyed the way, it's, and not just the the words you were saying, but also the way that you were saying them. You had that that tone where you could feel the rage and frustration just building up and building up until eventually it was like almost like a sense of of acceptance and defeat at the same time. Yeah, because we met when I was a sophomore. So I would have been like 16, 17. And then our friendship ended, let's say ended, when I was 20. That's a, that's rough. It's like really important years. Yeah, those are like, 
you're entering adult, like you're, you're in the middle of being a teenager, entering adulthood, and you're just about to be like officially able to drink, essentially. <laughs> like you're just a yeah. year shy of that. Yeah. He was like older than me, too. Because it's even worse when like friendships get like a weird familial like tilt to it. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't say he was like my dad, but he was like my dad. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's there's definitely a se- a, a strong sense of family and bonding there that yeah. they, they... And I, I have that with, like, a few friends of mine as well, where it's it's like they adopted me, and I really do feel like right. they are basically my parents. Yeah. Which I feel made it worse. Yes. Because then you get that double rejection. You have, like... If you were already yeah. struggling with your parents and then you have that on top of it, it's like... Right? Just like, wow, okay, cool. Dads apparently aren't my thing. <laughs> cool. <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm allergic to dads, but maybe <laughs> I am. Uh, I don't I don't even know what type of allergy med you would take to cope with that. What More is, moms? Yeah, like, what is the anti-dad medication? Younger sisters. Maybe. People who have little sister energy are the anti-dad i would say like i don't even know i would say like hyper independent people because dads i i I don't know if maybe i'm right or wrong but generally the energy i tend to get from dads is like they want to help you while at the same time almost talking down to you like oh yes how i like to describe it is there is a man that lives in your house that is a traveling businessman who's constantly has new things in his suitcase. And sometimes he'll just leave things there with like, uh, Hey bud. <laughs> and like, he knows random things about you that maybe were important several years ago. Like they're trying, they come home, they, they talk, but also like this man lives out of his suitcase. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. That reminds me of a conversation. It's that, but emotionally. Yeah, that reminds me of a conversation I had. This was like years and years ago. I remember with my own dad, he was like, uh, we were we were just talking and he was like, you're not old enough for like X, Y, Z. And I was like, how do you, how old do you think I am? He was like, what are you, like eight, 10? I was like, I'm, I'm 14. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, all right, cool. So yeah, no, I, I I totally get that. Like I always found that insane until I realized I was taking the paternal role in my younger sibling's life. Oh. And I'm like, oh, yeah, no, they really do stay like age five in your mind until you're forced to like realize, oh my God, that's a teenager. What happened? Yes. I remember fixing your hair. What? Yes. Oh my God. Last year, my sister got married. And I remember still when I went to to her wedding and everyone was like, oh my gosh, like she looks so gorgeous. And and she, she, she was such a nice child. And I was like, did we live in the same timeline? Because to me, her childhood phase was yesterday and she was a little monster. Right. Like I bet seeing her walk down the aisle, you probably still saw them in like a five-year-old outfit. Yes. I saw her in her kindergarten graduation outfit. Yeah. (laughs) And then you're just like, wait, wait, what do you mean you're taller than me? Oh my God. I I will say at least she's not taller than me. I can say that. (laughs) That must be nice. (laughs) Can't relate. That must be nice. (laughs) It it hits you a certain way. (laughs) When you go for breakfast and then you see them, 
hunched over, yes. but still taller than you. <laughs> it hurts. Oh my God. She told me that she got a job and she was telling me about like getting a raise and stuff. And I was like, who are you? You used to slap me with your ponytail. What are you talking about? Like who hires a 10 year old? What? Exactly. It's like, is that child labor? Is that allowed? And she's like, I'm 21. I'm like, it's child labor. Right. So regarding the, the poem then, so it sounds like flowers are definitely a big deal for you in, in your life. And having this relationship kind of fall apart really affected you. And I'm, I'm curious, have you, is, are flowers a common theme in your work? Or is it just, this is kind of what tied it all together for this particular work for you? It used to be a really big part of my work when I was doing like high school because I went to an art school. Okay. Which I feel adds a lot to the emotional turmoil. Yeah. <laughs> if you've known someone who attends any sort of art school, it doesn't matter if it's grade school, high school, college, it's the same. And you should maybe hug them. <laughs> <laughs> There's a little a, a sense of almost like dramatic type of vibe that is encouraged in there. Yeah, it's not a great place, and more people should check up on on that environment. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I agree. I, so I went to digital animation school, and I remember even now, even now when I still talk to like artists and stuff, there is there is like a like a, a, a specific subsection or something of artists that are like, I'm like Van Gogh because I too am damaged. And I'm like, or like, don't, you don't have to be is the thing. You don't have to, uh, you can just like Van Gogh because he, he was a great artist. It doesn't have to be because he's, he was um, mentally ill and struggling. You say animation and I can't imagine the type of not political power plays, but something of that you had to go through. I can't imagine. Oh my gosh. Don't, e don't even get me started. Yeah. I, I love it. Because it may seem like a stereotype. But yes. why are most animators like that? Are you okay? Um, no. Uh, I can safely say, at least for my case, I was not okay at any point, at any time that I was ever in animation <laughs> Right. Some people think it'd be like safer and maybe a bit healthier than the traditional artist like I was with like painting. No, but no, it's, it's more worrying because y'all have cyberbullying. Yes. Not even like intentional. It's like anonymous art critique comments. And don't don't even get me started on the people that are like tracing is bad and you should never, ever do it. And meanwhile, like one professor's like, you should trace to learn anatomy. And the other professor is like, I can't believe you traced that. You're you're failing the class now. It's yeah. like your teachers must have been so much worse than mine. Oh, my God. I had don't get me wrong. I had some really awesome teachers, but I did. Yeah, like you do. Um, I will full disclosure. Like I had a teacher that was uh, I was I wanted to give a friend a surprise. I was going to create like a sort of like dating sim game because they were really into that. And so I was like, OK, well, I got a few of my friends together. Sure. Yeah. And so they were into like creating games and stuff. So I was like, OK, cool. So let's just do a quick dating sim. It shouldn't take too long. It'll be easy. But I really wanted to make a good thing, you know, and I also was struggling with my gender at the same time. 
So I was in the women's animation group and I was like, I really like there. I'm not gaining anything by being here. Like we're not really doing anything. I have other projects that I need to focus on and I just don't have the time or the mental capacity to be here. Plus, you know, gender wise, this ain't this ain't the, the spot for me. So I talked to the professor and was like, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to duck out of this group. Her words to this day, I will see her name. And I'm like, ooh, I hope I hope you get the day you deserve. Because <laughs> like, Oof, I felt that seeing their name and still being like, man. Yes, man. <laughs> what she told me, I still remember we were on the second floor. I uh, I could barely look at her because I really wanted to do something with the group, but I just didn't feel comfortable in it. And she said that because I was leaving the group, that I was not cut out for animation and that I was going to fail in life. And then oh she just God. and she just walked back into the room and I was like, well, that sure friggin' happened. Anyway, back to building a game. <laughs> Yeah, like we had a teacher that made it so we couldn't join most art communities or events because they personally have burned so many bridges in our community that it was hard to get like art volunteer internships. That's uh, that's not great. Imagine um, being so hated by the art community. Yeah. Wow. But still going to school every day bragging about how important you are and that you know the ways of the art thing. <laughs> and you're be, just like, what? To be blackballed, to be hated. I mean, <laughs> they sure know something. Right? Oh, my gosh. Like, I was like, I didn't think you'd be allowed to teach if you did all that. I, I wouldn't think they'd let you still put your name on things. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, they put, like, redacted. We don't associate this with them anymore. Oh, you think, gosh. but no. They write, like, recommendation letters. Yikes. Well, that's a recommendation letter I definitely wouldn't want then. That's for sure. Thank you, but no thank you. That's going in the That's going in the folder, just, like at my desk and it's staying there it's not getting sent to anyone yeah yeah so oh right that flower key <laughs> yeah the flower key um talk about that what is uh first of all i i want to know out of all the flowers that you mentioned in your poetry what was what's what are your top three favorites and what do they mean personally i really enjoy hyacinth i i'm sad that i didn't put some of my favorite ones which my top favorite flower is the gladolius. It's my favorite. Okay. So close second ones. is a hyacinth. It looks like a hyacinth, but more like round petals. Oh, I see. Is it gladiolus or? Okay. So a good way, if you just type in that one character from, is it Final Fantasy? And then put flower, it should just pop up. Not spelled right, but it'll pop up. Final Fantasy Flower. That's what I'm looking at. Let's see. Oh, that. My God, what was his name? I don't know, but it looks like uh, Aerith. No, it was with a G. Ooh, the one that travels with Noctis. Is it Final Fantasy? I don't know. Because this one looks like a lily. Wait a sec. I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm like, (laughs) I need to know his name. It's going to drive me crazy. Oh, my God. It is spelled right. It's. Gladolius, he's the buff one with no shirt. 
Delius flower. Oh, I'm wrong on what it looked like. I was thinking of a hyacinth. Oh, well, what happens? <laughs> That's what I was like, well, a hyacinth is, I think, very different from this one. They're both tall. Yes, the one that, oh, okay, I see it now. It's like, it kind of grows like, yeah, so it's like the, that, it's like yeah. the one single flower, but like, okay. It's hard to explain. I think I was just thinking round and like, what's the word? Silhouette? Yeah, yeah, because they do Instead look round. The individual flowers. And the hyacinth looks like sharp, I guess. Is it's like well, we can say that. Yeah, like the petal. There, it, it's it's not a jar flower, but it looks like um more yeah slimmer. It's the the petals are slimmer than the this one. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So yeah. So hyacinth. Which what other ones? Once I saw what mock oranges looked like, I really enjoyed them. Mock oranges. What do they mean? Um, those mean deceit. Oh, like I think they're fun. They kind of look like like apple blossom flowers. I'm teasing, but like mock oranges are fun. You know, deceit is fun. You slide. It's just yeah, fun. yeah. <laughs> they are very pretty. I do like um. Oh, and they're so tiny. Oh, they're yeah. so cute. I they're fun. This. Imagine like putting that, like braiding it in like someone's hair. It would look great. Should use that for wedding. That's, no, they shouldn't not use for that weddings. for weddings. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. Not after that meaning. <laughs> yeah. Divorces. There you go. Oh, you know what? That gives me a good. I I do I do have a divorce coming to like that. Mm. That should be a business idea. Yes. Like there are wedding parties and stuff. There should be like divorce ceremonies and stuff. If there are any divorce lawyers out there that want to have a logo, uh, Mock Orange is apparently great for a logo. Right? They're pretty also. They are very pretty, yeah. My third favorite would have to be Aconite. It's just shame. They're poisonous. Wolfsbane. Wolfsbane. Oh, okay. There we go. Oh, they're so pretty. They look like, like butterfly wings. Right? I love I love flowers. I used to not fun fact I used to not like flowers when I was younger because I I don't know I just didn't quite see the the use for having flowers. I my mind was like if you're gonna grow in a garden you might as well do herbs, which is I'm from Puerto Rico, so we use a lot of spices and herbs a lot, and so flowers are not as commonly used. And then you know then I stopped being emo and was like oh yeah flowers they're cool. Wild, you had a more enhanced understanding of plants than I did when I was younger. In my mind, they're all flowers. What do you mean grass isn't a flower? <laughs> it's a flower. I never understood. I never understood the difference between weeds and flowers. And to me, to this day, I'm just like, like dandelions are flowers. I don't care. They're not. They're, right. not, they're just flowers. Like the only time the difference matters is if it's surrounded by plants you like. Or if you need to have other things growing near it. Yeah, exactly. Because, oh my God, the roots of weeds are insane. Yeah. They shouldn't, <laughs> it shouldn't be like that. Why are they like that? They're both sometimes thorned and they're so strong. Like, why? They're hefty. <laughs> they're just, there's those big old hefty ones. Like, if you've ever tried to pull up a sunflower, without gloves it's so much so much digging and then even then you don't get it all 
does it, I, I don't know if this happens with stuff. I know it happens with, um, I don't even remember the type of grass that it was, but with sunflowers, if you, if you take them out of the ground, but you don't get all the root, do they grow back? It depends. Sometimes they do. Other times they'll die. It, it just depends on how spiteful it feels. <laughs> I thought you were going to say like, it depends on how much you take out. <laughs> How angry you make it. (laughs) Yeah. I totally believe plants have emotions because of how many have continued to thrive (laughs) after you've tried so hard. I mean, more power to them. Clearly, they live to spite me. Clearly. More power to just take life lessons from flowers like that, you know? You, uh. It's the only reason. Has to be. So going back to your writing, you've been writing for a while, about seven years now, right? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Wait, wow. What, I have, haven't I? What sparked it? Like what, what got you to start writing? And did you ever have any, any times when you were like, oh, like, I don't want to do this anymore. And then you just couldn't help. So how do I say this? That's not embarrassing. <laughs> so... You know how when you're young and you're sad and they're often just like, oh, emo poetry. Well, I gave it a shot. I felt great after. (laughs) It was also because we weren't allowed electronics at school. So all I had was paper, my thoughts, and a pen. What else was I supposed to do? Instead of drawing the home screen of an iPod or, you know, draw anime cartoons or whatever you wrote You need a reference. Exactly. I love that. And so, so was, was there ever a time? Cause for example, for me, when I was writing, it was for a similar reason. I was, you know, I was an angsty kid who needed to get my thoughts out. But then after the angst kind of died down a little bit, I was like, nah, I got like other stuff to do. Did you ever stop or like pause writing, I guess, and then pick it back up? And if so, why? I stopped poetry and then I did short stories for my friends. Because they realized, ooh, if we say we like a thing and we plant a little brain worm in their mind, they'll do it. They won't stop thinking about it. Then they'll write it and then they'll give it to me. Yeah. Was that, before I continue, was that enjoyable for you as well? <laughs> or like, because this was before, ooh, I, not to date myself, but like, <laughs> This was during, like, not the rise or, like, the... It was before Wattpad started publishing books. Oh. It was during this period of time. And, like, we were young kids, so the only platforms we really knew were Wattpad and fanfiction.net. I knew you were going to say that one. And they're... They're both hard to navigate. Yes. They're really complicated for some reason. Why is it so complicated? Um, because it hides, our, it hides our sins is why. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Those are the first ones that pop up. <laughs> but yeah, so they thought it was easier to just invade my mind <laughs> and for me to supply them with stories. I mean, it, it definitely sounds like not not just that it, it helped you grow creatively, but like again with the poem that you read, it was it was emotional. It was it was strong. It was the emotions 
that you were trying to convey, I feel came through very effectively, both in the wording and in how you read it. I like to attribute that to all the Death Note fan fiction I had to write. That you had to write the Death Note fan fiction? <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Go on. <laughs> so, um, Death Note was the first anime I saw with my family that my sister got really into. And she's kind of lazy. I love her. She's a little lazy. So she'd have me kind of write little Death Note blurbs for her. And sadly, I've grown. It's now very easy for me to write in the voice of L or Light. Like, it's so easy. It's (laughs) it hurts a little. All I can think about, because I used to be a super huge Death Note fan growing up. Yeah. But whenever anybody says anything about like, the only thing that comes to mind is, well, first off, the meme of I'm going to take a potato chip and then eat it. And then, <laughs> and then the fact that uh, Light Yagami is was an anagram for yes. I'm a gay. <laughs> yes. Which to like, me, I was like, my mind was blown when I saw that. And I was like, yeah. oh my God, me too, though. Right? Like, it's funny. And then when you actually start doing character studies, you're like, huh. Maybe he is a homosexual. Yes, exactly. It adds a lot of layers. It adds so many layers. Yeah. Whenever I read other people's headcanons, like they're like, mm, Light, Light's a trans man and he likes men. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> now I know you might have said this as just a, just a hee hee ha ha, just a little funny, but let's, let's think about this. Let's dissect this. Yes, yes. Oh Are my you God. Aware of, that explains how he acts and why he was so like not open but kind of open with how he did certain things yes especially like how he was my my favorite part that made me really go like oh my god you're right he is gay was just his whole relationship with Misa Amani was just right all of it I was just like that is a dude who needs an Right. And even adds with like the trans man thing, because if we think about the time period, it was it was very misogynistic. Yes. Like with that internalized issues. Yeah, no, the way he treats most women. Yeah. Yeah, no, that tracks. That makes sense. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, my God. Now, I had not thought of him as a trans man up until this point, but right? you know, I'm, I'm vibing with it. Right. Like, yeah, sure. We see him shirtless sometimes, but also how are we to know that's not his own propaganda? Yeah. And I mean, like, you can you can heal your scars very, very well. You know, you can go on puberty blockers very well, too. So how are we not to know that Ryuk didn't give him top surgery? Exactly. Who are we to say? We don't know that. It's not like we we skip around from different people's points of views. We're not always yeah. seeing every little part right. of his everything. He, we never like, see him. We don't the know restroom. how light and L showered. We don't yeah. know how they showered with the handcuffs. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I feel that's really important, personally. Just the handcuffs in general, how they lived. <laughs> just, just from a logical standpoint, like, is- <laughs> as Light Yagami's dad, I feel like you'd want more clarifications. I I just want to mention, I okay, 
And this might be a little TMI, but so I got a bidet. Okay. I got a bidet recently and uh, it, it has changed my life, uh, but you still need to turn it on. You know, it's not like automatically yes. it will detect and like, OK, now I need to spray your butt. So, you know, I don't care how advanced Japanese toilets are. Elle had to be in that room with him and help him press the button. Bold of you to assume that he didn't instantly turn it on before he used it. Because <laughs> Elle's a little toddler with <laughs> the intelligence of a college professor who has tenure. My favorite part is that we did, so my partner and I did a test of how powerful the bidet we got was. And don't get me wrong, I got like the cheapest bidet I could possibly find because I just wanted something. We turned it on and the stream went from our toilet bowl all the way to our front door in our apartment to the top of the front door. And it probably would have kept going up to the ceiling if the front door had not been in its way. It's wild. So I'm just imagining L like light is about to take his seat and L just like. <laughs> yeah, I fully believe he would. Oh, my God. I love that. Oh, God. Well halfway because he's messing with him the other half because hmm, how he responds can reveal if he's Kira or not <laughs> it's a bit of both I love that oh my gosh uh, I had not you know and I haven't read a lot of, of Death Note fanfiction myself but now I, I feel like the more I do this podcast the more I have to read fanfiction fanfiction has gotten really good it like really the does. old fandoms that you thought had like cringy fanfiction now are like work of art. Like Hannibal, I learned words I never knew existed. Like, yeah, they're vaguely traumatic to read. <laughs> but they're so beautiful. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna traumatize you, but I mean like worth. <laughs> yeah. Like I learned new words and I learned how they're used. Do I sadly have to imagine? Hannibal's voice saying this yeah I do but it's a price to pay <laughs> when you consider the educational value exactly <laughs> but this is also coming from a child who used to read the dictionary when they were younger oh me too yeah that's freaking awesome nice yeah I would just get bored and I'm like I just want to like I want to read something and there's nothing to read and this was pre-smartphone so like <laughs> right so, I mean, I think you pretty much answered it, which is, you know, your your biggest writing inspiration. And I'm when it comes to you writing, you know, you're you're writing a lot of poetry now or like I'm I'm assuming you're writing a lot of poetry. Yes. I'd love to know how I guess if you could provide an example of how a work of fan fiction has helped you improve your poetry. <laughs> I'm like trying to think of ways that aren't like immediately like, hmm, okay. <laughs> so I think what really helped like with describing emotions is I'm so sorry that I'm going to say this, mm -hmm. but would have to be with the young my hero characters. Is that Yeah, no, I hated saying it. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I want to make sure I'm on the right track here. Are we talking about My Hero Academia? Yeah, My Hero Academia. Yeah, um, Boku no okay. Hero. Yeah, no. It's... Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, it hurt me saying it as bad as it probably hurt you having to hear it. 
I am not liable for any listeners' ears bleeding. Just putting that out there. <laughs> like, yeah, it's a good premise. It's just, you know, teenagers are the worst. I I have a a question that that has popped into my head that I think a lot about when I'm when I'm reading fan fiction or talking about fan fiction is what what inspires people to to write fan fiction. Something that inspired me to write fan fiction when I was younger was because I would get angry at how the characters were progressing in the actual like canon story. Mm. And so I would write fan yes, fiction yes. because in my mind, I was like correcting it. Like they would absolutely never do that. They would do this instead. Oh, yeah, for sure. And so do you think that that is the driving force behind fan fiction? Or do you think there's more there? There's something else mm-hmm. that's bigger as a person who now writes fanfic because I see stupid little plot holes or side plots that don't get continued because yeah they're a little stupid it'd be a little insane for them to go more into that or like a random fan theory that you're like that's insane no of course I have to write about it it's ridiculous (laughs) such as there's a theory for my hero it's like an old one about where some of the like past holders of All Might's quirk or time traveled Bakugo and Kirishima. Um, what? As adults. Exactly. Exactly. I'm sorry. Imagine reading those words for the first time. Imagine that. Obviously, your thoughts are, tell me more. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't, you can't just like toss me something and then be like, anyway. Yeah, no. And then like, I wouldn't see that many things about it because people would be like, yeah, that's funny. But also, I hate time travel plots. I'm like, I'm sorry. How can you hate the absurdity of time travel plots? That's you don't like fun. All the best stories have a crap ton of time. My favorite book of all time is literally like it's um, the Foundation Trilogy by Isaac Asimov. And it's about like predicting the future, essentially, through cycle history. Like, come on. Like, I feel if you don't enjoy absurd story plots, you probably also have memorized every rule book for any game you've played and you don't <laughs> let anyone forget it. They're the ones that read the that read the Monopoly rules in the first time or the Uno rules. And they're like, guys, you actually can't mo- do that move and you have to draw four. And everyone's like, shut up. There are Monopoly rules. <laughs> I'm being like, serious. There are Monopoly rules. There's a rule book. So here's a fun fact about what? Monopoly. Monopoly was actually created by by a woman who had, and there was more, I don't remember what all the extra stuff was, but the idea was actually to show that the, the like capitalism and the way that Monopoly works was not functional. And so the idea was to get you to work together. And there was like a whole second half of the of the board game that got cut out. And what was the um who owns? monopoly now Hasbro. i don't know i didn't know there was a rule book because i always had like passed down versions of the game yeah so there there is a rule book and so Hasbro, when so basically the, she was selling the the board game as that it's like capitalism doesn't work here's a board game that literally teaches you why and teaches you what is an alternative to actually function together as a society so it was meant to be like a teaching experience Hasbro took that over, completely removed the second part and advertise it as, you know, buy up all the property, be super rich, you know, play Monopoly. So what I'm understanding is in the original game, planning a bank heist might have been part of it. 
might have been. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I can't confirm nor deny. Yeah. Like who hasn't bribed their local monopoly banker? Who hasn't? I don't know if is is it really bribing if I gave them like I'd be like I'd bring them food. If you from gave the- them a cookie, yeah. No, but <laughs> it's, a, it's a bribe. They're not they're not agreeing to give me the money. It's just that they're distracted by the cookie and I just reach for the five hundreds. Huh. That's a good question. Yeah. Is it, I don't know good if they- question, actually. <laughs> is that is that stealing? I don't know. I mean, is it is I th- doubt they're aware of how many of those bills there are there. I doubt they could confidently say. Because if they can't prove how many they had, they can't prove how many are missing. Oh, here we go. The history of Monopoly. American anti-monopolist Lizzie Maggie created a game that she hoped would explain the single tax theory of Henry George. And it was intended as an educational tool to illustrate the negative aspects of concentrating land in private monopolies. And the the original name of the game was called the Landlord's Game. And then... Landlord's. Yes. And then the Parker Brothers, which I guess eventually turned into, uh, yeah, it turned into Hasbro. Hasbro bought out the Parker Brothers. The Parker Brothers bought the copyright for the game and basically just tossed out everything else about, you know, just basically everything. Like Hasbro buying up property is good and landlords are saints, you know, kind of thing. But yeah, yeah, no, it, it does have a rule book. My rule of Monopoly is if you are winning, then we stop the game because you make the rules. I don't know. I just found that really interesting because of it, it, it being used as an educational tool and knowing that there's a version of the game that I've never played before because it was not marketed for that. So sad. Yeah. But yes, I'm going to very quickly go through the flower key before I forget. Oh, yes. Go ahead. Go. Yes. Yes. So purple orchids represent respect, royalty, and admiration. Snapdragons are strength, grace, love, and luck, which can also have a second meeting, which is negative, which are deviousness and deception. Yellow roses are for friendship and new beginnings. Anemones are can't wait to see someone, new beginnings, protection, lost love and sorrow. Hawthorns are protection, love, faith, and hope. Blackthorns are pain, resentment, strife, bad luck, and wounds. I'm pretty sure Hawthorn and Blackthorn are more so like woods. So not technically flowers, but they count. Yeah. Yeah. Purple hyacinth is sorrow, potential forgiveness, and very much a I am sorry flower because of like, you know, the myth. If you don't know the myth of the hyacinth, don't kill me. Wow, I didn't know you didn't read. Percy Jackson, wild. You didn't get too into that. Okay. Yeah. I it's about never touched Percy Jackson book. Oh, wild. Oh my God. You weren't into Greek mythology? I wasn't actually. Oh my God. That's, that's actually impressive. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I'll, I'll go over like my, some like mythology related hints I have in there after my key. Okay. Lockspur are dedication, strong bonds, sincerity, and affection. Aconite is caution, death, and treachery. Treachery is the exact word used, which I feel is fun. Peruvian lilies are friendship, loyalty, and strength. Petunias are resentment and anger. Orange lily are pride, disdain, and hatred. 
And then mock oranges are deceit. Uh, okay. That's, uh, yeah. Those are a lot of both really nice and really uh, intense flowers. <laughs> right? Yeah. And then the little mythology things I have randomly put in here are instead of saying like God or like heaven, mm-hmm. I would put like Gaia as in like the Greek tidiness of the earth. And then I'd also had Hera, which is the Roman form of Gaia. And then also I have Ceres, which is the Roman version, kind of, of Demeter, which is the goddess of the harvest in Greek mythology. Okay. Now, Hyacinth, this has a very, it's it's a sad, but also great myth. It's one of the better myths about Apollo's many loves. It's one of the better ones. There are some not great ones. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So he had a young lover. I'm pretty sure Hyacinth was somehow related to royalty. Like he loved him a lot. They would, they were playing Frisbee kind of, whatever the ancient Greek equivalent of Frisbee was, like with like those old metal discs. Yeah. Like it would hurt if it hit you. Right. So there was this wind god who was jealous that Hyacinth was with Apollo instead of them. So he made the disc change its path to hit Hyacinth in the head, which caused it to die. Because, you know, if I can't have him, no one can. Oh, my God. You know, know, that common thought that everyone totally has. My gosh. Yeah. Right. So Apollo's thing with his lovers, usually they meet their end or he decides their end. They usually end up turning into some sort of nature. Hyacinth turned into the hyacinth flower and it represents sorrow and such because he feels guilty that he caused this ending to happen to him. And he also blames himself for the disc hitting him in the head because it's unclear if he's aware that the wind, one of the wind gods, like messed with it. It's uh, unclear. Depends on the myth you read. So yeah, it's one of the more positive Apollo love myths. Positive, okay. Yeah, no, they get they get that. Apollo's low key kind of problematic. <laughs> yeah, you I know. mean, isn't it's that kind of like God. the theme for Greek gods? Yeah, they're all a little problematic. It's like, uh, I, I'd say similar to, to people, we're all a little problematic. Yeah, yeah. Some, My some personal are. take is the least problematic is Aries, personally, but that's because I'm biased. <laughs> yeah, sure, he was sleeping with some man's wife, but she didn't want to marry him. She was forced to marry him. Who's <laughs> also a great father. I gotta, I gotta look up. And I feel that's what's important. Isn't it? Isn't Ares the the god of like war or fighting or something like that? Yeah, yeah. Sure, he was a little bloodthirsty, but <laughs> sure. also he's the god of war. He can't control that. Oh my god! <laughs> like I said, I feel a little biased because there's a myth about how his daughter was raped. Okay, and they then had like Ares wanted to kill the man. Ooh. most of the Greek gods wouldn't respond like that. 
So there was a trial held on what should happen to the man between the gods. They all voted that the man should live because I think he was like important or something. Ares thought that that was bogus. Yeah. He killed the dude. He killed the dude. He touched his daughter without her permission. That's my daughter. What is wrong with you? Yeah. Yeah. Like Ares is a lot of things, but he's a good dad. (laughs) He respects women compared to the other type of men in this period. He respects women and consent. We're not looking at you, Zeus. Nobody's looking at you. Like, yeah, he's maybe a war god. (laughs) But so is Athena and she's petty. And she didn't have kids. So I can't say she's a great mom. Fair. Aries has quite a couple kids and he's a great dad. And I feel that's important, but that might just be my paternal issues <laughs> talking as we have seen in my poetry that might just be that talking well the good news is that aries i don't think would have you go through such an intense breakup that you write a a very met- metaphorful metaphor filled poem yeah no he killed a man but that's <laughs> he should it it oh, might have felt good in the moment maybe i don't know it's been a while since i was in that <laughs> mindset oh gosh well we're we're wrapping up here but uh prosper do, do you have anything else you'd like to add um no and if somebody wanted to look up more of your writing or uh, plant some more ideas in your head where can they find you well, I'm starting to upload all my stuff on my Tumblr, which you have the name. Icarus Experiment. And it is yes correctly spelled I-C-A-R-U-S Experiment. E-X-P-E-R-I-M-E-N-T. There you go. Yes. Awesome. Putting them all there. Might put up some of my little fanfic blurbs. Maybe. You know, yeah. if anyone's into that, I will. I'm I'm sure there's I'm sure there's people that are gonna love that. You're posting it on Tumblr. There's people that are gonna love that. <laughs> right. Maybe. All right. Well, it was really awesome to have you on. I'm really excited that we finally got to record together. And uh it's also very cool that this is the half a year episode for Epigraph. We this would be the sixth month that Epigraph has officially gone live, so Woo! Awesome. Ooh, nice. I got a nice even number. Yeah, exactly. Even odd number. Good for <laughs> me. So, yeah. So thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you for listeners for joining us as well. Thank you for listening to Epigraph. This episode was edited by the phenomenal sound gremlin, Celia. Thank you, Celia. (laughs) Thank you, Celia. Follow us on social media and join our Discord. You can find all our contact information at epigraphcast.carrd.co. That is E-P-I-G-R-A-P-H-C-A-S-T dot card dot co. If you want to join in the fun as a guest, send in your volunteer form or contact us at epigraphcast at gmail.com. Epigraph releases the last Wednesday of each month, so look forward to the next chapter. Once again, I am Jay, and I am a dim streetlight. See you soon! <laughs>